Well, hello everyone and welcome to the January 12th, 2024 episode of the Advocate podcast from KASB. This is our first podcast of the legislative session and I would like to welcome everyone and introduce our new KASB advocacy staffer, Shannon Kimball. Shannon, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Thank you, Leah, and hello, everyone. I'm glad to be joining today. I'm Shannon Kimball. Um, I am a school board member on the Lawrence USD 497 Board of Education. I have served in that role for 12 and a half years um, and was just reelected, so I'll be continuing to serve in that role. In addition, um, as most of you likely know, I served on the KASB Board of Directors for six years, served a year as uh, board president for KASB and three years, uh, almost three years as past president for KASB. Um, Since leaving the board of directors, I'm just really thrilled to be involved again in this work and to be working with Leah and providing advocacy for all of our members. Thanks, Shannon. And, you know, uh, I don't know if folks know that a lot of our KSB advocacy staff are Kansas natives. I was born in Hutchinson and Shannon is from Atwood. So uh, just a little fun fact there. I wanted to also note that we're joined today by our fabulous producer, Alec Madrigal, who keeps us going and, and posts a good podcast for us. So thanks, Alec. You know, it's been a busy week in public education advocacy land, so I think we'll get started. Uh, I think the first thing we want to talk about, Shannon, is the special education task force that met last Friday, January 5th. That is a task force that was directed to meet by the state legislature. There were some scheduling issues with that uh, task force, and so ultimately it met for two hours on Friday, January 5th, to hear information and testimony on what our listeners know is a very complex topic, which is special education funding and the services that we deliver. It was a fantastic two hours for education advocates, KASB, and more than 60 other individuals and organizations urged the task force to fully fund special education at 92% of excess costs. That is current state law. We urge that. And we say that because full funding of special education helps all Kansas kids because special education isn't fully funded. School boards have to pull money out of their general fund to backfill that special ed underfunding. And so I think a lot of a lot of you who listen have heard some of our points on that. Again, KASB and more than 60 individuals and organizations urged the task force to fully fund SPED. And there was one organization with no expertise in public education that testified in opposition to funding SPED to help all Kansas kids. Turning to the task force recommendations that are being forwarded to the state legislature, the task force endorsed the State Board of Education's unanimous recommendation for a four-year phase-in of $82 million each year to reach that 92% of excess costs while the task force continues to meet. The second recommendation was that the state make a special education payment to school districts no later than August 1st, rather than waiting until October 1st. Our board members and superintendents who are listening know that school districts typically get a a special education payment on June 30th, and then they carry that over all summer and fall while they wait for that October 1st payment. You know, they have to carry over some of that June payment because they've got to get school up and running in August. And so, uh, they have to hold on to some of those balances. And that sometimes contributes to some 
some confusion and, and false narratives around what those balances are for. So the task force is recommending that the State Department of Education make an additional state aid payment no later than August 1st. The task force is also recommending that there be a work group form to receive uh, miscellaneous data on special education funding, on dyslexia services, on how we identify gifted students for special education services, and uh, some KSDE enrollment data. And finally, the last recommendation was to urge state agencies to open up additional Medicaid billing codes that would allow schools to receive federal reimbursement for some of the in-school services that we provide for special education students that uh, would be covered by Medicaid. I wanna be very clear, this task force did not recommend Medicaid expansion you know, that that was not the issue. You know, they are just suggesting that some additional billing codes be opened up. There are uh, states, um, pr particularly several states that surround Kansas, who use some of these additional billing codes to help their schools be reimbursed for in-school special education services. And so the task force is recommending that the legislature uh, direct Kansas agencies to open up those Medicaid billing codes as well. Those recommendations that the task force made last Friday will now be sent to the state legislature, and we will keep you posted on those developments. Now, Shannon, this uh, task force meeting took place on like your second day on the job for KASB. Uh, we were there in the front row, as they say. Um, what were your impressions of that task force meeting? What I heard during the task force meeting was overwhelming support from the education experts in the room, both those who were on the task force and those that testified um, in person, as well as the parent testimony that was provided, overwhelming support for the legislature to fully fund the existing formula. Um, and I think that that is really important. Um, there was plenty of acknowledgement that there could be consideration of ways to tweak the formula so that it works even better for our districts. But I thought a really important point that was made in several pieces of the testimony was that we don't know how much better our student achievement could be for our special ed students and our general ed students if we just fully funded the formula as it is, because we haven't done it. Um, we, we, it hasn't been fully funded since the 2010-2011 school year, and the last time it was fully funded general education services were not being fully funded because we were in the, um, in the early years of the Gannon litigation over that. So we have not ever been in a place where school districts have been fully funded for all the services we are providing for students in the last 13 years. So I thought that was a very important point that was brought out that, that we just need to fully fund what we already have on the books and allow districts to show what good we could do um, for students and families in, in that circumstance. I also heard, much to my dismay, some substantial confusion amongst uh, some of the task force members that were legislators about how the school finance formulas actually work together in reality for school districts. There, there seemed to be a, a lot of misunderstanding about the difference between base state aid and being funding base state aid for students um, on a per student basis versus the special ed formula, which funds staff and positions. And um, those two things are very different, but 
some of the discussion that happened during the committee meeting indicated that there wasn't an understanding of that. That is a great insight, Shannon, and that's something that we ed- education advocates are going to be working to explain to the legislators, the members of the task force, and the and the public as this discussion moves forward. I have to tell everyone, I was having a conversation Friday evening with somebody who you know has a general understanding of what I do for a living, uh, but but doesn't uh, know all the weedy details of SPED funding and all of that. And they said, "Well." Well, how did the task force meeting go today? Did you have a lot of people show up uh, in opposition? And I said, no, there was only one organization and they don't really know much about public schools. And this person said to me, wait, there are people in this state who don't want to fully fund special education kids? They were just shocked. And so I think that's something that our folks need to keep explaining to people that Special education funding ends up benefiting all Kansas kids, and the legislature could do its part by fully funding at the 92% of excess cost that the law requires. And I want to also note that I and about a dozen other Kansas school board members are heading to Washington, D.C. at the end of January to take this fight to Capitol Hill, where we're going to urge the Kansas congressional delegation to strongly advocate for federally funding IDEA, the federal special education law, we all know if the federal government would do its part to fund special education, it would help the state as well. As most of you know, the legislature began its 2024 session uh, this past Monday, January 8th, and Shannon and I have been there uh, monitoring activities and uh, meeting lots of folks and, and doing lots of good meetings and conversations. The, Of course, the major item of business this week was the release of Governor Laura Kelly's budget proposal. This proposal is made every year, and then the legislature and the governor's office and advocates work together to hammer out a final budget product. The big items of interest this week for K-12 in that budget are the governor's budget proposal fully funds K-12 general education in fiscal years 25 and 26. This is the Gannon funding that you sometimes hear us refer to. This is general education funding, fully funds general ed in fiscal year 25 and 26. In the 24-25 school year, the base state aid per pupil would be $5,381. And in the 25-26 school year, The base state aid per pupil provided by this budget proposal would be $5,623. So I don't think anybody was surprised that the governor recommended that fully funding of the Gannon school finance formula because uh, she has run on being the education governor. And uh, this has been a budget priority of hers for the past five years. I want to note, and Shannon, uh, you know, help me out with this, but the budget director said yesterday in his presentation that the the CPIU, or I think it's an easier way for folks to understand it, would be the inflationary adjustment for the base state aid in this school funding budget proposal that the governor has made is going to be at about its high watermark for the 25-26 school year as we see inflation start to cool off. Does that, have I summarized that correctly? Yes, he just, he was making the committee members aware that the increase that we that is in the budget for 25-26, that's probably the largest uh, inflation adjustment driven increase that we're going to see. He he was predicting 
that that the average that they use for that is going to be going down starting after the 25-26 school year. So I think that's important for board members and district leaders to know kind of in the back of your minds as you're as you're doing that longer range planning. Yeah. And good news really for appropriators too, that um, inflation seems to be cooling off and that's helpful for them to know as well. Now, Shannon, we were watching the state of the state address and the budget, uh, just budget explanation for a mention of special education funding. Would you bring our listeners up to date on that item in the governor's budget? I'd be glad to. So we were all very pleased to hear on Wednesday evening in the governor's state of state address when she announced that she would uh, be including a plan to fully fund special education in her budget. She didn't provide details on Wednesday night. So Thursday morning, uh, we were listening carefully to that presentation to hear what the details of that would be. Her plan is a five-year phase-in of full funding of the current special education funding formula. So that amounts to an additional $79.4 million a year put into the formula in her proposal for each year of the next five years. So that would begin for the 2024-2025 school year. That differs from the state board recommendation by a year. State board is asking four-year phase-in. The budget presentation yesterday made clear that the thinking behind that is due to the desire to take some time to continue to press our federal delegation on the full funding of IDEA so that it would help the state with the state's share. In addition, the budget presentation included a lot of information for legislators about the history of special ed funding. And as I mentioned earlier, they had um, made very clear that 2010-2011 school year was the last time that the statute was fully funded. This year, it's funded at 69.3% of excess cost. It's that's If they don't take any action to increase SPED funding, that's going to go down to 66.4% next year. So very encouraging that the governor has continued to prioritize this as part of her budget proposal. She also included a couple of education-related items in the tax relief package that she presented uh, um, at, in her speech on Wednesday evening, and we uh, received further details of those yesterday. Um, the first thing to note for our listeners is that her proposal to increase the property tax exemption from the statewide 20 mill levy. Currently, that exemption is $42,000. They are proposing to increase that exemption to $100,000. That revenue that would be lost with that proposal would be backfilled from state general funds. So no changes to school funding, but changes to where the money would be coming from to fund the formula. That's certainly an issue that we'll all want to pay very close attention to because while it wouldn't have an immediate impact on districts, it could in the future if the economy took a downturn, for example. Um, And then the other much smaller piece of her tax proposal that impacts or touches on public education, she's proposing to add a school back to school sales tax holiday for the first weekend in August every year. That would be a Thursday through a Sunday. That's something that uh, states around Kansas do, and uh, she wants to add that to our our toolbox here in Kansas. All right. Well, thanks for that, Shannon. Great overview. Uh, switching topics, 
The governor came out very strongly in her state of the state address against school vouchers. She stated that she will not allow taxpayer dollars to be funneled away from public schools. This is a, uh, a continuing item of contention uh, over the past few years in the state legislature, and it will continue to be so in 2024. In fact, earlier this week, Senate President Masterson and Speaker of the House Dan Hawkins stated that in spite of not having the votes to pass vouchers in Kansas or to override a gubernatorial veto, they are going to force your local legislator, legislators to vote on vouchers again in 2024. So um, we know that's a policy priority of those leaders, uh, regardless of how it might play with, uh, with the rest of the legislature. Shannon, could you briefly explain for our listeners what vouchers are? Sure. So no matter what they're called, whether people are using the term tuition tax credit scholarship or an education savings account or straight up voucher, we are opposing vouchers because they def- they defund public schools in favor of schools that don't accept all students. So taking public tax dollars to pay for private education in institutions that do not have to educate every student. The data is very clear from states that have expanded their voucher programs that vouchers for unaccredited schools encourage fraud, encourage waste, cost much more to educate students in that manner than um, the efficient and accountable way that public schools operate. They especially hurt rural communities because when rural schools fail, Our rural communities lose their identities, they lose their mascots, their teachers, um, in most cases their their largest uh, or one of their most major employers in the community. As we've seen in other states uh, that have vouchers, those vouchers are being overwhelmingly used by wealthy families who are already in private schools. I've seen numbers, you know, well over 75, 80, upwards of 90% of voucher users in some states are people whose children were already enrolled in the private school system before they started using the voucher. Um, In Kansas, that would mean that rural property tax dollars would most likely be paying for private school tuition in our urban centers in Johnson County and Sedgwick County, because that's where, that's where the private schools are located. So we have, we have, there are many, many reasons why we have taken that position and our members have taken that position. Thanks, Shannon. So I think our advocates want to be out there talking to their lawmakers about our opposition to vouchers. They're bad for kids. They're bad for public schools. And we don't need them in Kansas. I'd like to turn to a different topic now, which is uh, familiar to many of our superintendents and board members who are listening. And that is the uh, enrollment calculation or or sometimes we just call it current year enrollment is the topic. Um This week in the legislature, we saw the introduction of House Bill 2485. It allows school districts to use either their current year enrollment or their previous enrollment when they're calculating the the formula that determines how much state aid they receive for educating their public school students. If a district closed a building in the previous school year, it would be required to use its current year enrollment figure. I want everyone to know that KSB's legislative policy, which was adopted in November by more than 100 locally elected school board members, supports allowing districts to use either the current year enrollment or the greater of the past two years. 
So we'll be opposing House Bill 2485 as it's currently written. We'll try to work with the legislature, but the way the the bill is currently written, we're going to have to oppose it because of its devastating impact on some of our rural schools. Shannon, could you give us some more background on this current year enrollment issue? Sure. So current statute allows for a two-year look back for calculating enrollment, which the enrollment is then used to determine um, the state aid to districts. If uh, those of you who've been around for a while will remember uh, that that provision was enacted several years ago because uh, the legislator, legislature wanted greater budget certainty on that state aid allocation, um, particularly uh, in allocating aid for declining enrollment districts. They, they changed it from allowing us to use current enrollment to having to use the previous year or two-year look back. Um, so it's interesting that they're now looking to revisit that decision. In 2023, there was a bill proposed that allowed districts to use either current year enrollment, which would be helpful for our districts that are growing in enrollment, or choose to use the two-year look back, um, which is helpful for our districts that are stagnant or declining enrollment. Um, KASB supported that bill in 2023, but that bill is different than the one that has just been introduced because of not including that second year of look back. Um, At the end of the last session, the legislature pushed um, a provision that limited the calculation of enrollment just to current year or the previous year. That is the provision that Governor Kelly line item vetoed. If you'll remember, there was some controversy around that, but she vetoed it because it would have been really devastating to more than 100 rural school districts. um, And because it potentially violated the school funding agreement, the Gannon agreement. So you know, this, this issue is rearing its head again. Yeah. And um, I want to note that because of that uh, provision that would have devastated our more than a hundred rural school districts. And for a number of other reasons, KSB ultimately opposed the final bill that that current year enrollment was wrapped up in. That was Senate bill 113, which included funding and vouchers and a whole bunch of things. We opposed the overall bundled bill, but we supported then and continue to support now being able to use either your current year enrollment or the two-year look back. So uh, definitely a a bill that we'll be following and we will be testifying against at least in its current form. Another topic of interest to our listeners and to KASB is uh, some flat tax uh, debate that may be coming up in the legislature as early as this coming week. It uh, it appears that in spite of apparently not having the votes, legislative leadership is going to be pushing forward on its policy goal of enacting a flat tax in 2024. A conference committee began meeting just yesterday, that was Thursday, and we heard from a good source yesterday afternoon that a bill may be on the floor for final action as early as next week. It's estimated that a flat tax rate on income tax of just over 5% for individual earners would cost the state as much as $1.5 billion and would mostly benefit only the highest bracket of earners. KSB is watching the flat tax issue for its impact on the state revenue that supports public schools and other important services. Shannon, can you explain why the flat tax may not have the votes needed to pass in the state legislature? In 2023, the flat tax package failed narrowly in the Senate after passing handily in the House. So in order to pass it again this session, Senate leadership 
will need every Republican to vote yes. And that's unlikely to happen because just this week, Republican Senators John Dahl and Rob Olson and Independent Senator Dennis Pyle announced their opposition to the flat tax. So unless leadership can change their minds, it appears to be a really bumpy road ahead for this particular proposal on the Senate side. Thanks, Shannon. So as I mentioned, we'll be monitoring uh, those debates uh, for their impact on, on revenues for schools, cities, and counties, and we will keep you posted. So another kind of item of interest this week, we haven't seen a bill uh, text yet, but there was a bill introduced this week by House Education Chair Adam Thomas that would allow virtual school students to participate in CASIA activities. So that would be sports, extracurriculars, um, all of those activities that are so important to communities. We're concerned that it could be like the 2023 law that prevents school boards from having any kind of oversight over whether homeschool children who wish to participate in CASIA activities are making any kind of academic progress. So that's concerning. Again, we haven't seen the text, but we'll keep it posted. Well, I think that's it for this week's episode of KASB's The Advocate Podcast. I want to thank Shannon again for joining the KASB team and for participating in this podcast. Thanks again to our fabulous producer, Alec Madrigal. We will look forward to seeing many of you next week at KASB's Advocacy and Action Workshop in Topeka. And then we'll have another podcast for you next Friday. Take care, everyone, and stay warm.